today, if I was going to title the message, I would title it, The Church Has Left the Building. Now, I know it sounds a little bit negative, but just hang on with me till the very end. But the church has left the building. And this is a message that has been on my heart since I read a statistic uh, through Barna. I was watching a film and trying to uh, be resourced through a company called Outreach. And they're one of the premier Christian resourcing companies for churches and nonprofits. And so they had this uh, some webinar, and one of the stats that I was watching there is that, that through this COVID pandemic, about 30% of committed Christians have left the church. And that's exactly what I said. I, there's no way that can be right because 30%, I mean, I don't think there's ever been a, a season in history, and I've studied church history, where 30% of Christians have left the church. So this is not a small thing. Well, then I did the research, and you can see this is actually the statistic where that comes from. This is a group called Barna. Barna is one of the premier statisticians uh, in regards to the church in America. And so they did this whole statistic uh, research and, and went in and compiled uh, the research on the state of the church in the middle of this COVID crisis. And what you can see, it says only 35% of the church are still attending their pre-COVID church. Wow, 35%. And then look, if you see the 14%, the you may not can read it, but it says they've switched churches from their pre-COVID church. So in other words, I was going to this church, but since COVID, I either got offended, something happened, and so I left, and now I'm going to a different church. The third line that says 32, that's the number that I wanted to see if it was real. It says 32% of the people who were attending church during COVID have stopped during COVID. They were attending church before COVID. They stopped. And then the last, the 18% says they church hopped since everybody's viewing. So I'm going to watch my church, but I'm going to watch the other churches as well. And so how many know those stats are absolutely alarming? Let me say, how many know those are some alarming stats? But here's what I want you to know, that God is greater than stats. God's not limited to what's happened in the past. He can shift the future. And so I just told Phyllis, that just means I got a target that we're aiming for, that I can't pastor everybody, but I can pastor this church. And that's not going to be a stat in this church. God's moving. God's doing great things. And here we see as we pastor people, God is going to recapture their hearts. So the church has left the building, that's, that's really, it's been something that has broken my heart. And what I realize is that the people that have left those 32%, they don't even realize that what's happening has happened. So, so I don't think anybody, think about this, when March happened and we stopped gathering together, everybody was watching their church online. Everybody was faithful and committed. Man, it's awesome. My church, we went online. It's great. Pastor, good job. But how many know then you hit the summer slump? And summer slump is normal, man. We go to the beach. We go on vacation. Listen, Phyllis and I, we typically take our time off, our vacation in June. I tell the church, look, you got to take vacation with your family. Just take it off in June. And we typically come back in July. Anybody know what happens in July here? We do. Anybody? relationship series because I know you want to know how to make your marriage work. All the singles, I know you're ready to mingle. And so if I do a good relationship series in July, everybody starts coming back home. 
And then we ramp up into 21 days of prayer in August typically, and then we launch off into the fall season. And so typically that's the pattern, but what happened this year, I believe, is people took a summer slump and never came back. People took some time off, and it just became normal not to be in church. How many know if you would have done this three months ago and those same people that have fallen off, if you'd have said, hey, would you stop going to church? I bet most of them said, I can't even imagine not going to church. It just happened gradually, began to compromise. Their standards began to be lowered. Think of it like this. It's like a husband and a wife who are going out to buy a house, and the husband has this promotion, so they're like, man, hey, let's celebrate. Let's get a, let's get a bigger house. And so they're going to go out, and they've got two options. We buy the brand-new house, a little bit smaller, but it's brand-new, or we can get the fixer-upper. Come on, somebody. The one's got a little bit more square footage, but it's cosmetically distressed. Bones are good, but we got to do a little bit of work. Come on, we got to get rid of that 1980s paneling, somebody. Come on, you know that was from 1980, right? So the paneling, you got you to get the popcorn off the ceiling. You've got to go in and update the bathrooms in the kitchen. And the wife's like, look, honey, I love the floor plan. I love the square footage, but that is not our standard of living. And the only way I am moving into this house is if you promise me we're going to remodel it, Right? So they lower the standard. It's not how they normally live. They jump into the house, and lo and behold, he got the promotion, but that means he has to work harder, longer hours. Now the kids have got sports. They've got band and all the activities. Everybody begins to get busy, and at first, the house really bothered them, but a couple of months later, it ain't so bad. It's like, oh, that paneling's not bad. I can add a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No, no, it's still paneling, baby. It's got to come off, but your standard lowers. Because you've been in it and you don't see what you used to see. Andy Stanley says it like this, time in erodes awareness of. I've been in the house. I'm no longer able to see what I once saw. And so the standard of that couple has dropped. And now they've compromised and are living lower than what they used to would have lived. I think that's a picture of what's happened with COVID. Like, at first, you're like, there's no way I would stop. You go on vacation. You're like, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back. And how many found yourself watching church? And as you watch, you used to get up early. You used to have breakfast. You had your coffee. You actually got dressed. 9.30 happens. 11.30 happens. And you're like, bam, we're ready. You selfieing. Anchor Ben TX online. Boom, boom, boom. Now, here we are five months later. You walking in at 9.28. You go barely getting in in your PJs. Come on, somebody. You're like, hey, at least I am here. What's happened? The standard has lowered. Why? Because time in erodes awareness of. And I think that's what's happened with a lot of people. It's like I would have never just went from this to that. But over time, it's been easy for me to compromise. It's been easy for me to lower the standard. It's been easy for me to get comfortable. And I think it's... What has happened in many people's lives, you've gotten comfortable with missing some services. Got comfortable with not going to small group. Come on, you know small group used to be a big part of your life. You would never miss it, but it just got a little bit comfortable. Got comfortable with not serving and not tithing. You just, little by little, the, the standard has eroded. And you begin to slip back into old patterns, old habits, and old lifestyles. And that's my concern today. I know you're sitting here and you say, Pastor, but we made it. Yes, I know it. I know you're watching online. You're like, but I'm not that person. Yes, but it's not just being here. It's not just us physically gathering or watching online. The church is not a service. The church is an identity. 
It's who I am. I am a Christian. It's a lifestyle. It's not did I make this service or not. It's am I living the life that God called me to live? Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says? Now you are the body of Christ. And individually, you're members of it. So you're the church, you're the, you're the body of Christ, and, and so this is our time to not just show up for a service, to, but to live as disciples, for us to go all in with God and say, God, I am the church. It's not a location, it's not a place, it's not a service. I am the church. And I'm concerned that some people have forgotten that. I, I reached out to someone that's been in one of my small groups for a long, long time, years actually, We've become great friends, and I reached out to him and said, how you doing? Oh, it's good. Well, hey, let's, let's go get some lunch. And about a month ago, we went and had lunch together, and I just began to say, hey, tell me about what's happened over the last couple of months, and talk to me about what's going on. Well, he's like, oh, everything's fine, but the moment you really get down beneath just the surface, you, surface, you realize his life has been unraveling. His life has been falling apart. The marriage that God once restored is now being separated and looks like it's headed for divorce. The children God once had, their hearts have now begun to turn away and be cold to God. The finances that were once blessed are no longer blessed. And I began to ask questions and say, hey, listen, tell me, what's, where did all this begin? And he said, well, pastor, if I could be honest, we watched it first, but then we stopped watching. We were engaged at first, but then we stopped being engaged. Pastor, we were part of it, but then we just fell away. And how many know if I'm not connected to the source of life, I'm not going to have a life filled with life. And we understand that the church is not about just a service. In fact, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia, and that means to gather. It's really a twofold meaning. Uh, ekklesia is to gather together and then to be called out. It's both and, not either or. So you gather together as the body, whether physically or online. And then as we're strengthened, as we're encouraged, as we continue to be filled up to overflowing, we're not supposed to stay inside these four walls. We're supposed to go out into the world. We're called to go out and be the salt and the light to the world that's dying and going to hell. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, and he's speaking specifically to Peter. This is the first time the word church is mentioned in the New Testament, and the word ecclesia, or church, is mentioned 107 times, and when you want to really know what's happening with the, the topic that you're studying, you always go back to the first, and this is that mention of the first. And what we see is Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And the disciples said, this is what the people say. And Jesus looks to them and said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And look at what Jesus then says. He says, I tell you, Pete, that you are Peter. And on this rock, who? Him, the church, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus said. I will build my church. Doesn't matter about coronavirus, he's going to build his church. Doesn't matter about racial tension, he's going to build his church. Doesn't matter about politics, Jesus came to build his church. So we got we to gotta say it ain't a service. I'm the church. I'm the, I'm the church. Look, you want, you want to build a church, you got to build the people. The people are the church. And when we forget that, we think, well, it's all about attendance. No, it's not about attendance. It's a lifestyle that I'm the church. So if God wants to build his church, he's got to build me. And I think for me, I, I learned this. 
at a, at a young age, actually, I was, I was raised in church. My mom's sitting over here on the front row. Hey, mama, daddy's watching uh, right now um, due to health conditions. He's at home. So I'm glad we have both options for you. And so I was raised in church. My parents said, hey, you're going to church. It wasn't just an addition to church was the center of our life. It was the lifestyle that we lived. And, and so what does that mean? Listen, that means when the doors were open, we were at church. And that was back in the day. I don't know about your church, but we had Sunday mornings. We had Sunday nights. We had Wednesday nights. We actually did Saturday night prayer. It was at 5 o'clock. Saturday night prayer, we're all in the, in the place like we do for Saturday mornings. We're praying together and even revival services. Come on, somebody. You never knew how long revival services were going to go. They'd go for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Just depend, right? Who's here? Who's, who's? And, and so our life was built around this church. And I remember as, a, as a, a teenager, as a child at first, I just didn't know any better. And as a teenager, I was kind of resentful. I, I don't get to do it. But now looking back on it, the best thing they could have done was center my life around church, the place where Jesus is at. See, I think we have so many times parents say, fix my child, fix my teenager, fix my marriage, fix what's broken. But you ain't bringing what's broken to Jesus. You're out there living like the world, asking Jesus to fix what you won't surrender. I'm sorry. I told you I've been pent up for the last couple of months. You got me preaching. I don't mean to... But I remember, listen, as a child, I memorized scripture. Why? Because they, they gave away prizes in the children's ministry. How many love Pastor Chris and Pastor Yolanda? Can we tell the children's ministry how much we love them? Hey, but it didn't matter. I memorized those scriptures. You know where I learned how to tithe? I learned how to tithe in children's ministry. My mom and dad never sent me to church without having something to put in that offering bucket. And so I learned why. Because I knew what it meant to put Jesus first. No, because there was a competition and whoever gave the most money got a pizza party. But I'll tell you this, we'll do anything short of sin to reach people. And if it takes a pizza party to get a child excited to come back in here, to come back and say, man, I'm going to give. This is what I know. It ended up shaping my life. I didn't, I've never not tithed my whole life. So then when I was a teenager, I began to understand that tithe is all about putting God first. And so as a teenager, started construction, working construction, pouring concrete. Anybody pour concrete, you know we're out there digging ditches, tying steel, throwing out in the mud, doing the come along. Come on, it was terrible work as far as, oh, I worked hard for that money. I'm not saying it's terrible work. I'm just saying it's hard. It's hot. Now you got ozone problems. Anyway, that's a whole, I don't even know about that. I'd be burnt, burnt. Every Every, every dollar I made, God got 10 cents. I learned where at church. I learned that God called me to be a leader where? In youth group. I was a part of the youth advisors. We helped to shape what happened in our youth group. I learned how to play drums because I played drums in worship at youth group. I went to youth camp. God touched me at youth camp. Listen, it was at youth camp where I met your pastor, Pastor Phyllis. Yeah. She was 14, 15. We dated for a year and two months. Look, I actually have a picture of her. I was, what? <laughs> All right, she's going to kill me. Nico came in and said, Pastor, we got your picture of Phyllis ready. I said, <laughs> I, was, I was in the lockdown. I, I was isolated for 10 days, so I went through our treasure trove of pictures, and I took that. I'm like, look at my little hot honey right there. That would be glamour shots. Yeah. Your boy tied her up. Where? Youth camp. I didn't tie her up at youth camp. Trust me. I got her heart, though, at youth camp. 
Guess what? I went on a mission trip. Why? Because of my church. They helped support us on our first mission trip. Guess where I preached my first message? At church. People believe in me. Where? At, at church. It was, it was in that moment. It's like, you, you can do this. No, I can't do it. No, dude, you can do it. I messed up. They didn't care. They loved me through it. Why? Because that's where God built the house that we as a family lived in. I, I was thinking about this. I keep this plaque in my office. It's 19 years old. So I was a legacy giver 19 years ago. When we owned our own restaurant, they gave us a plaque. And so we didn't, I didn't go to the banquet, but I took the plaque and I said, God, that's what I always want to do. I want to give you the most. Everything I have is yours. And I learned when I owned the real estate and, and, and uh, restaurant how to be a legacy giver. That's above tithes giving. That's saying, God, I'm a funnel. I'm a conduit. See, tithing is just the baseline. But when I became a young adult and began our businesses, the Lord said, now, son, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach you how to be a conduit because if you'll be a conduit, I'll not only bless you, but I'll bless the world around you. But that happened where? At church. I tell our legacy team and those that are connected together, I, tell them, I, didn't, I didn't learn that here in this church. I, I was a legacy giver. Where? At church. My life was changed at church. Then it was in 2012, Phyllis and I had a meeting with the pastor that we were under and supporting in Stafford. And I walked in. I had no desire to launch a church. Did not ever launch a church. I just knew the Lord said transition. And he said, I feel transition. I said, Pastor, that's the same thing the Lord told us. He said, well, what do you think it is? I said, no, Pastor, you tell me what it means to you. Because when you're under authority, I don't go tell my authority what God spoke to me. I ask the authority, what did God speak to you? And let me walk out under the authority that God has placed me in. And I believe that's why this church is blessed. I believe that's why day one there has been a multiplication. Because we were sent out under the covering of God in the church. My kids were raised in this church. I baptized all my kids except Raylan. We had the privilege. We baptized them. Look, there's Caden. Come on, we got Carson. Come on, and Addison. All my kids. Raylan wants to be baptized, but we got to make sure she understands, right? Come on. Like, Raylan, we're going to do it. Just, just we'll make sure it's the right moment for you. All of my special and big moments have happened in church. And what's the one thing the enemy's trying to pull us out of? It's church. So to see 32% that have fallen away, how I many know my heart breaks? And here's what I know. The Bible says, and this is what my mom and dad knew. In Psalms 127, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And I think so many people are out there trying to build your home. No, no, you go build God's house. You get around God's house, and God builds your house. And then I, I also have this problem, Just and, and if I could just be so candid, is that we have this mentality, Pastor, I just want balance. I, you know, I just, I got to have our family, we got to have some healthy boundaries and balance. And, and look, I get it. I think that there's a, there's a piece to that. But I got to tell you this, when I was dying and going to hell, I didn't have no boundaries. There was no kind of healthy boundaries. And No, no, I was on drugs. I was a workaholic. My life was messed up. My marriage was falling apart. There was nothing about my life that was balanced. And when Jesus came in, I said, Jesus, I surrender everything. Jesus, I give you all. Jesus, you paid the price. The only thing I can do is to lay my life down. 
That's the response. And you imagine, listen, I was on drugs when God saved me. February 7, 2003, I was raised in church. Had a praying mama. She knew how to pray. And so here we've been up for days on drugs and God shows up in my house. I didn't even come to the church. I was in my house and God showed up for five hours, radically saves me, radically saves Phyllis. And this is what I know from that moment on, I said, God, I'll do anything. I am now a bond servant. It doesn't matter what I like. It doesn't matter what I want. That's how come when my pastor said, what do you think transition is? And I could easily say, you tell me why, because I learned that if I'll submit my life to the Savior, there is there's no limit to what he will do in my life. Our lives have to be built around the house of God, the heart of God, the love of God. And I'm concerned just because, listen, there's this, you're never going to look back on life and say, I wish my kids would have played more sports. But I promise you, you're going to say, I wish I'd have had my teenager in the youth group with Owen. How many love Owen and Kendra? I wish I'd have had him around godly friends and godly people. I wish my children would have been in Sunday school or in the, the children's ministry. There's never the regret of the things of this world, but always the regret of the lack of the things of God. And it's a trap of the enemy. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Jesus said he would build his church. You're his church. He wants to build your life. The problem is you want Jesus to build your life, but you've evicted him out of your home. What do you mean, pastor? Well, it's because you ain't got no more time. Sundays are family days. Wednesday, my kids are in football. Look, I know I'm meddling. I know I'm stepping on toes. Look, I got kids just like it. And this is what I told them. You, ain't, you won't understand right now. But there will come a day where you're going to say, Dad, I appreciate you building my life around Jesus. I was looking at the backside of Matthew. Look at Matthew 16, 18. You know, we said he builds his church. He's going to build his church. It's fascinating that the backside of this is really an analogy of war. Look at what he says. So I'm going to build you up, but the gates of hell are not going to overcome it. They're not going to overcome you. And look at what we're in. We're really in, in, a, in a battle, in a war, in a, and it's raging in society greater than ever before, more division than ever before. And so if we think that when he builds us up, it's going to be easy, it's not. He didn't say he'd just give you peace and love. It's peace that passes all understanding. That means when I'm walking through the darkness, when I'm walking through the valley, I can keep my head up, I can keep my faith up, and I say, God, I don't understand it. I may never understand it, but I trust you. That's the kind of peace. That's the kind of life that we get to hold on to. So you think about that. That's a mentality of a soldier. Like, look, I'm in a battle. This, this ain't a play. We ain't playing patty cake. And I think the church has to wake up and this remnant that is rising up. You know, I'm more committed to preaching just, just raw and just straight up. Like, this, this is what I felt like the Lord told me is that are you going to raise up a social club or are you going to raise up an army? He's coming back for an army, not a social club. I don't care how big... 
I don't care how little this church is. I don't care about it. All I care about is that when you stand before God, you could stand up saying, I'm a soldier. That you hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So that means I might have to step on your toes. I'm going to have to say some things that are a little bit hard. But wouldn't you rather hear that here than say, I wish some, somebody would have told me. We're not in a social club. Think about the YMCA or I mean, think about that. You can, in a social club, you can either gain a membership or retract your membership. In a social club, you have preferences. No, no, the kingdom of God ain't got no pre preferences. Well, I wish they'd do this. No, no, you, you've lost that right. Why? Because I'm a bond servant. He saved me. Just don't forget, I was dying and going to hell. And at that moment of lostness, I'd have done anything. You'd have told me to lay down here, right here. You lay down, you squabble, you do whatever you I'd have done it, why? Because I was dying and going to hell. I'd have done jumping jacks. I'd have ran across the street. I'd have done anything, why? Because I was lost. In that moment, God showed me two roads. I believe, had I not chosen him, I'd have died and gone to hell that night. And somehow now, as a saved Christian, we walk around like I got a preference. Pastor, sing that song. Pastor, say that sermon. Don't talk too hard, talk soft. I want it to feel good. Well, listen, church ain't about you. It's never been about you. It's always about him. It will always be about him. I ain't got a preference. You know what my, my only option is? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Someone said, well, what were your dreams? Well, I had a dream at the age of 20, 22, 23. It was to be a millionaire by the age of 35. But when I was saved, I no longer had a dream. I said, God, you've called me to be a general, to organize the greatest spiritual revolution the world has ever seen, walking intimately with God, relaxed and fully confident that I cannot fail, moving in his supernatural power and authority, bringing heaven to earth. That was the mission statement God gave me. So whatever that looks like, I'm okay. You want me to mop floors? I'll mop floors. You want me to clean toilets? I'll clean toilets. You want me to set up chairs? I'll set up chairs. You want me to start a business? I'll start a business. I'll do whatever you want me to do because my mission is to please you, to serve you, to love you, and to give my life wholly to you. And I'm concerned about the state of the church. We got to raise up an army. The devil's not playing around. He came to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has come that we might have life, and life more abundantly. And look, your, your battle is not against those who wear masks and those who don't. Come on, somebody. I've seen some ugly fights over that. Come on. No, no, you, your battle's not against political parties. Are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Are you an independent? No, no, no. Your battle's not about blue lives matter or black lives matter. Oh, pastor, you starting to get, no, no, you know what your only focus is? There is unity in the body of Christ. I love you if you're black, you're white, you're Hispanic, you're Indian, you're Asian. There is nothing you could do to make me love you less. That is already settled. I'm not getting pulled this way or that way. I want to be somewhere in the middle. Where do you stand, pastor? In the middle. Why? Because I'm bridging this group and I'm bridging that group. Why? Because it's not a legislation problem. It's a sin problem. And we have the answer. And his name is Jesus. So, Pastor, okay, I get it. So what do I do? Well, I'm going to give you a 30-day challenge. I've never really done this before. Typically, I'll say give me 12 months 
But I felt like the Lord said, I am going to exponentially do things that would have taken years in weeks and months. I'm going to give you five areas to engage in. Five areas. Five areas. And I really believe this was a word from God. You say, well, look, I need to turn around and do this for 30 days. Mark your calendar right now for 30 days and do what I'm about to tell you. And I promise you, you'll have the great, I felt like the Lord said, I'm going to have the greatest turnaround in people's lives that they've ever seen. And someone says, well, I, I've, I'm doing some of it. Yeah, yeah, the question is, are you doing all of it? And I just felt like the Lord just said, look, challenge them. So I, so I challenge you, 30 days. First thing, if you're going to engage, if you're going to live moment ready, is I'm going I'm to engage in my personal devotion. Personal devotion. Look at what 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says. This is a scripture you ought to write down. <clears throat> Look, it says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. What does that mean, Pastor? That means God is actually looking for people who are wholeheartedly devoted. Those that are saying, God, you've got my devotion. God, you've got my time. God, I'm going to spend time in praying and reading the Bible. I'm going to spend time in worship. That's what the 21 days of prayer and fasting was all about. If you missed it, it's okay. you got 30 days. You need to turn around. It doesn't start apart from this as the foundation. So we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. Why? Because I don't care what else you have as an aspiration or a goal or any kind of vision from God. If the foundation is not set correctly, it will not stand the test of time. Devotion. God, I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to spend. And so if, you can, if you're just starting to do first 15, five minutes in worship, five minutes in the word, and five minutes in prayer. Just do 15 minutes for 30 days. Personal devotion. Second thing is small groups. Small groups. So I, you got to engage in small groups. We're launching them next weekend. Come on, somebody. Isn't that great? Jolea, you've done a great job. So excited about them. We're going to have some in person. We're going to have some that are uh, on Zoom. Uh, we've got a lot of curriculum-based small groups. Someone's doing Zoom. They're like, well, what do I do? Just do a curriculum. They've got it all set up. But here's the real reality of what I've seen. The enemy has been trying to isolate people. Some of you have been in a small group since the first day you walked through the door. But you found yourself letting go of the small group because now you're trying to just manage this crisis. And what's happened is slowly over time, your standards have been lowered. And now you're living the way you would have never lived five months ago. And the enemy has isolated you. And some of you watching online, maybe you're sitting here and you say, yeah, but I'm mad. I'm offended. And that's really what happens. I believe many times the enemy isolates us out of offense. So you're like, look, I'll watch online. I might show up here, but the truth is my heart is hurting. And here's what you have to know. Offense is like drinking poison, expecting the person that hurts you to die. The enemy is just poisoning your soul and nobody even knows about it. And that's why you're mad. You're like, man, they should know about it. Pastor should know about it. My Serve team should know about it, but the problem is you didn't say nothing to nobody. How are they going to know unless you open your mouth and you talk? And so he's got you convinced and nobody loves you. I need you to know this church loves you. Your pastor loves you. Your people here love you. The serve teams love you. The small groups love you. We just didn't know. And the whole time it's a trick. Offense has just been trying to just pull you away, isolate you, just get you away from people. Look what Ecclesiastes says. If two are better than one, 
Because they have a good return for their labor. If one falls down, his companion can lift him up. Some of you have fallen down and there's nobody to lift you up. Some of you, it's like, well, my spouse is my best friend. The problem is through COVID, you begin to see some fault lines in your marriage. People say, well, COVID messed my marriage up. No, COVID didn't do it. Those cracks were already there. Those faults were already there. COVID simply exposed what was already there. And so who was your best friend since you've been isolated? Now you got nobody. And I agree, husbands, wives, you ought to be best friends, but you ought to have friends outside of just your marriage. Come on, somebody. Some things I need to tell somebody that I would never say to Phyllis, like how crazy I am and all the bad things about me. Don't laugh too long. Come on now. That was too much. Your pastor's perfect. You don't see my halos? Small groups. Go to the website, anchorbin.com. Look it up. Get in a small group. 30-day challenge. That's all I'm asking you. Third thing is spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Every one of you have grace gifts. That means something that comes real easy to your life that nobody else has or, you know, there's a group of people that have it. But So there's the gift of craftsmanship. You got people that just whittle. Caden is a craftsman. Man, he'd go out in the garage. I ain't never built nothing a day in my life. I, I can barely do any kind of handiwork. My son's out there building garden boxes. He's doing gun barrels. I'm like, who taught you? He's like, it just came naturally. There's a gift of craftsmanship. And so guess how we saw people do that this morning. I was out there, and you had the whole team out there pulling, pushing boxes. Antonio was out there pushing boxes. Nico was out there. Paul was out there. 6 a.m., you were asleep. They were here using their spiritual gift, pushing those boxes, setting up these lights, setting up these screens, setting up the children's environment. They began to use what comes natural to touch people's lives. Some of you got the gift of hospitality. You got all the matching dishes and cutlery, and you just waiting for somebody to have some kind of, some anniversary, some birthday, and you're like, I'll host it, I'll host it, I'll host it. Look, I I don't want to host nothing. But you do, and that's a gift. It's a gift of hospitality. It's a spiritual gift. Some of you have got the gift of worship. You watch the team up here, and you're like, man, there's something that draws me into worship. There is a spiritual gift of worship. In fact, one of the greatest examples of this that's happened Alexis Alamia is up here. Come on, I mean, so we love Alexis. She just got back from Highlands College and uh, was up there, graduated Highlands College, came back. And you know, it was interesting. She's been here, we we're talking about it this morning. She's been here almost as long as we've been a church, over just about seven years. Alexis used to serve me and Pastor Phyllis. And we have Next Steps, which is the class that helps you uncover your design. It helps you uncover how God made you, your spiritual gifts, your personality. And so you'll hear us talk about it. Well, she had never gone to Next Steps. So she goes to Next Steps, gets connected to the church, joins the church, takes the spiritual gifts test, and realizes her top gift, one of her top gifts is worship. This girl ain't never sang a day in her life. And she's like, worship, so she does this. She goes and gets an infuse. When Pastor Steve, my twin brother, was leading infuse, she joins infuse, and she said, my spiritual gift was worship. They said, well, great, just come join us. So they started meeting and talking to her and training her up, and lo and behold, it wasn't six to eight months later, she was out here at the age of 16 leading worship for our church. Had an untapped gift that nobody had ever tapped into. See, some of you think, oh, I'm good, I'm 42. Baby, you got some gifts ain't nobody ever tapped into. You may be 70 years old, and God just wants to tap into some gifts. They've been laying dormant, but they're not dead, and he wants to resurrect them because he's got a job for you to do to reach this world. 
So you gotta, you got to say, listen, for the next 30 days, I'm going to go to next steps. I'm going I'm to uncover these spiritual gifts. I'm really going to be who God's called me to be. And then you join the dream team. you got to connect your active service to really eternal things. Look, it's good to go build a house, but don't build a house without offering people salvation. Come on, somebody. Fourth thing is generosity. Generosity. So you, you, you say, God, I'm, I'm going to be a tither. Here's what was interesting through COVID. And I've talked to a lot of people. If you were a tither, it was interesting. The outcome of what's happened is a little different than if you were a non-tither. See, when you tithe, it gives provision and protection according to Malachi chapter 3, which means God provides and he protects. The enemy can't come in and steal. Now, he may not have blessed your socks off and given you all your hopes and dreams, but you never went without. Why? Because of the blessing of the tithe. And so what happened is you wouldn't have stopped tithing, but you, you, you dropped your check into the giving center, and we didn't do that, and so you kind of fell off, and you didn't do the digital give, or maybe you never did. This is what I know. If you will say, God, I trust you, I choose to believe in you, because it's not even about your money. Heaven ain't broke. God's not asking, oh, my God, give me that little money right there. My, my God has streets of gold. He's got unlimited resources. It's not about him. It's all about us being in the position of Jesus this all belongs to you. That's why it's a percentage. Isn't that amazing how God looks? Because, look, a dollar to someone that has 10 is the same as a million to someone who has 10 million. So, if I'm in, so the percentage is the, the attachment to the heart. And so you got to say, God, I'm going to be generous. Listen, I want you to know as a church, here's your generosity. Since the beginning of the year, you as a church have given more than $103,173 to Missions. <laughs> missions. Local, national, and international missions just over this COVID season. That's how much you guys have given just to missions. Here's just a few things that your generosity has done. 575 bags of groceries to those that didn't have any. We gave over $75,000 to people who needed financial assistance. 450 people who were stuck in human trafficking, we helped them through this season. 400 children got activity bags. 200 local teachers got care packages and food. 275 first responders got care packages. 20 homeless at-risk youth were prayed for and served. More than 2,200 masks were distributed to healthcare workers and those in need. And you reached more than 40,000 people online in just the last couple of months. And that's just, that's not even all of it. That's just some of the local stuff. That didn't include the people we've rescued from slavery in Pakistan and the church that is flourishing in Pakistan and the three churches in India. And the, I mean, I'm telling you, what God is doing is unbelievable, but it's because as a church, we never disengage from being generous. You want to give, give. Go to anchorbend.com. Be a part of it. You're part of a church that believes that, God, we are a funnel, and we're going to funnel your resources to impact this world. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 11, and I'm landing the plane. Vanessa, you guys can come out. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So what does generosity do? It, it never points to the giver. It always points to God. So we always say, hey, listen. God is the one that has allowed us to be a part of this. And then here's the last one. Here's the last one. Evangelism. You might have had all the, all the boxes checked, like pastor, check, 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 check. But evangelism is one of the places I see we've lacked some engagement. 
Evangelism is not my job. It's not just your leader's job. It's every person's job. We together evangelize. You shouldn't go anywhere without being someone who spreads the gospel. And then if you have to use words, use them. Live the gospel. Be the gospel. And as people see you, they say, my God, there must be a God in heaven. Look at how they love. Look at how they care. Look at how they are different than the world that's around me. What we have to remember is that really God sent Jesus on a rescue mission. And so we, 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 I, I think it's easy to forget, and I put myself in the same category. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing for me to have to go back and say, God, let me go back to my first encounter with you. The moment of salvation. Because how many know we can begin to be uncrucified? We begin to have our own rights and opinions. And even as a pastor, look, I know people know me in this community. I, I, it never fails. Anytime I try to go somewhere, just get in and get out, somebody, at least one or two people says, oh, hello. Now, if I didn't care, nobody says hi. But the moment I care, I'm like, just go get in and get out. And I feel like God just says, but listen, it's not about you. It's about me. What that person needs, they didn't need back then, but they need it now. So will you take that moment? Will you pray for that person who's checking those boxes up in the shelves and, and the cashier who looks like they're about to break down because the customer in front of you just cussed them out because you, you sneezed on, you know, whatever it is. I, I'm just telling you this. It's easy to forget. And we come inside of here, and here's where I believe has happened. The church has left the building. That it cannot be about us coming inside these four walls of comfort and saying, God, I'm here. It's all about me being comfortable. No, no. Not only has the church left, but they're regathering. But us as the church, we cannot say, this is the final destination. No, baby. This is the overflow. This is where you get more than enough. It's the inspiration. It's the extra so that we can go out because the church has left left the building to go and be the church to go and reach those who are lost and dying and going to hell look we exist as a church to reach those who are not here yet don't ever forget that look before you were saved it was all about you when you're saved it ain't about you no more Remember, Jesus left the 99 found sheep to go and find the lost sheep. And now we're on a rescue mission with Jesus. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. If you had a lost child, you'd do anything you could do to get that child back. i never forget Addison was lost. The first time I ever really lost a kid. It's happened a couple of times since then, so come on, parents. <laughs> First time is startling. Second and third, you're like, oh, okay. They're somewhere. <laughs> Three may not be that bad. No, just joking. First time freaking, just freaking out. Crazy. Looking in cars. Just where, where she at? Stopping cars in the middle of the road. Seriously, honestly, Steve and I. And then go look. And Steve's looking through the windows. They're like, what in the world? What, what? We were willing to do anything. I didn't care what it looked like. Why? Because my daughter was lost. I didn't care what people thought of me. Why? Because my daughter was lost. I didn't care what happened to me. I was going to find my daughter because I was not going to lose my daughter. When's the last time you did anything you could to reach people that are far from God in your life? You know that boss you're mad at? The one you think you got rights to go and protest against. Maybe he's your mission field. You've been praying for that business, but God's like, I'm not giving you the business till you're faithful in the mission field that I've given because you won't be faithful when I give you employees. 
That's a word for somebody right there. You got that business, now you're getting angry, you're getting bitter, but you won't steward what he's put in front of you, realizing that that person is your mission field. Oh, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's, it's always hard. Oh, if you just knew what they said, well, look, they, they beat Jesus. They cursed Jesus. The Bible in Isaiah says his visage was marred more than that of any other man. So nobody has ever been beaten like Jesus was beaten. And we get frustrated because our boss asks us to work overtime. Hey, can you just do that? What if you said, I'll not only do that, but I'll do anything you ask. And they begin to see a difference because all the other employees act that way. And if you just begin to shift and say, Jesus, if you were here, how would you respond? Jesus, if you were here, what would you do? And you begin to live in that crucified life, getting rid of your preference, getting rid of your desires and say, God, I'm going to live. I promise you, God will open up doors that will blow your mind. Why? Because it's a surrendered life. And not only that, you'll impact eternity. And then you can invite your boss to Welcome Home Sunday, which is going to happen in three weeks. We're going to do an Easter in the fall. In three weeks, we're going to do a big Welcome Home Sunday. And we're just going to invite every lost person we can possibly get here. And we're going to bring them to this place. And go, what's Anchor Ben? Man, you just got to go. If you've seen the difference in my life, it's because I was connected to a church, which is what the name Anchor Ben means. It's actually a knot that holds the anchor and a rope together. You're the rope. God's the anchor. We want to be the thing that connects you to God. So three weeks from now, see you, but you, you won't have credibility if you don't live the surrendered life. Yeah.